Ezra chapter 7. We're going to talk today about the Word of God. And just to uh, uh, be briefer than I would normally be, we're going to read just verse 10. It says this, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. I want to read it again. Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. If you uh, can spot it already, you may have noticed three distinct things that verse talks about in terms of Ezra's relationship with the Word of God, with the law of the Lord. Ezra was a contemporary of Nehemiah. He'd been in exile Babylon and around about the 5th century I think, BC they came back and uh, Nehemiah was the guy that built the wall he did the practical things and Ezra was the spiritual leader if you like and uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we won't look at it but he jumps on a, a platform wooden platform and he teaches he teaches the word of God to the people for the first time in a long time. And uh, so he was a spiritual guy, a guy who had a great, great love and passion for the Word of God. And very, very quickly, I want us to look at these three uh, aspects just from this single verse in regard to taking Ezra as our example and model how we should relate with the Word of God. And I'll tell you what they are straight away. We learn that he was a student of the Word of God because it says here in verse 10, he had devoted himself to the study. Uh, in one translation, maybe a better translation, it says he set his heart to study. The second thing we see from verse 10 is that he was devoted to observing the Word of you know, keeping it, obeying it. And the third thing is that he wanted to teach the Word to other people. So he studied it, he obeyed it, and he taught it. Uh, if I was going to be uh, in preaching mode, I would say that he, that he sought the Word, he walked the Word, and then he taught the Word. And I think you will agree that if you're going to be a Bible-believing Christian, you're going to have to do all three things as well. You're going to have to be someone who studies the Word of God. You're going to have to be someone who keeps the Word of God, obeys it. And you're going to have to be someone who shares the Word of God, just like Ezra did. So let's bring one or two scriptures uh, up on the screen. What about, let's begin in Second Timothy and uh, chapter 2. Here we have this very, very uh, quite famous verse. You probably know it quite well. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman 
that doesn't need to be ashamed, but can rightly divide the word of truth. This was Paul's exhortation to Timothy, that in all the midst, Timothy, I want you to know something about Timothy. Timothy was extremely busy. Timothy was uh, not attending a Bible school. He was busy in the ministry in those days, of course. Uh, very few people in ministry were paid, so it's not like he was on a salary from the church in Ephesus at all. Uh, he was working his way through life, and he was preaching the gospel. He was trying to establish a church or two. And right into the midst of that comes this advice, or this, uh, shall we say, uh, command from, the, from his apostolic father. You should be a student of the Word of God. He had to study so that he could rightly divide the word of truth. You know, I, 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 wrote, an, I wrote an article uh, for a magazine last week, and uh, one of the things I reflected on in this article was my early days as a believer, when I was first saved, and what I was trying to say in this article was that uh, in my early days I was passionate without knowledge, and now I have knowledge, and I'm trying to get the passion back. You may be able to understand what I mean by that. And so now I'm smarter and I know what to say and I, you know, I've done the training. I, I, I do the training. I know, you know, how to do it. But I don't, sometimes I think I don't have the passion of how I was when I first was saved. And yet, what I also look back on those days when I was first saved is I used to, I think I said last week, I used to bring people into the pub and preach to them in the pub and got all my friends to come in one at a time, and I used to sit down and preach to them. But some of the stuff I used to tell them was just utter, utter rubbish. Utter rubbish. And I cringe now at some of the things I told them. And, uh, and of course, what's, what's important is to have passion with wisdom combined together. Can you say amen? And, and you may be passionate without knowledge, most likely you have knowledge but no passion or, or less passion. And when we come to God and cry for him to revive us, really that's sort of what we mean. Lord, will you give me back the passion I had? I have forsaken my first love and I must do the things I did at first. So, but I remember sitting in, that, sitting in that pub, which I think was called the Parrot. And boy, oh boy, I was passionate. I mean, I was just born again. I was preaching away, but I was telling them all sorts of stuff. A bit of the Bible, a bit of what I thought, a bit of what I'd read somewhere, a tract or two, an extreme, fairly extreme tract I used to use all the time. And, uh, and I cringe when I think about it. It's important, it's important to have passion, but it's also important to know what you're talking about. And it's important to have the anointing of the Spirit, but it's also important to know the Word of God. I want, to, I want to take you back to the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was outpoured. And as the Spirit was outpoured, you know, thousands of people came to listen to the apostles as they preached on the steps of the temple. And Peter said to them, we're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. I'm telling you today what was written by the prophet Joel. And can you just imagine what it would be like for most of us today, if the truth really be told, we would say, no, let me tell you what's happening here. This is what was written by the prophet Joel. Um, 
remember what he said. Let me find my, let me find my Bible a minute and I'll, I'll find it for you. No, Peter had the Spirit, but he also had the Word in his mouth. Let's look at another example over in uh, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter, chapter 18, where we, we see something very interesting about a guy called Apollos. It says, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man, watch this, with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. You know, this sounds like, this sounds like the dude to listen to. This sounds like the conference to go to. He was, had fervor. He was one of the early church. He was in the midst of the great revival of the early church. And he even had a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. And it says he taught about Jesus accurately, although he knew only the baptism of John. Let's look at the next verse. And so what we see is he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, I want you just to have some fun with me a minute and read between the lines. Priscilla and Aquila are pastors, local pastors, and they've heard about the new preacher in town. He's called Apollos. And so they go and hear him in one of his meetings. And he's got fervor. He's passionate. He's got the anointing. He's even got a good knowledge of the Scriptures. We read that. But as he's preaching, every now and then, Aquila and Priscilla are a married, married team. They look at one another like, uh-oh, I don't like the sound of that. Uh-oh. And then t- ten minutes later, they look at one another, ah, oh no, he's been reading one of those books. Oh dear. Then ten minutes later, he's preaching, oh dear, yes, I think he's got hold of one of those CDs about, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what they do is at the end of the meeting, they say, it was terrific to hear you tonight, but please come to our home so we can help knock out some of the junk that you somehow picked up. He was so new. He even knew the Bible. And it's possible to know the Bible, but not to really know the message of the Bible. Don't you know the Pharisees knew the Bible? The Pharisees knew the Bible. They, they knew the Bible. They could quote the Bible. But yet, the message of the Bible, the real message, didn't come out of their mouths. And that's a little bit what was happening here. So they invite this up-and-coming preacher into their home, and they want him to be a better student of the Bible. And so they want, to, they want to teach him, show him the way of God more accurately. I want to encourage you today to absolutely become a student of the Bible. Do you know that we actually dare to suggest that we live and die by this book? We live and die by this book. If someone asked you to renounce the Bible and set it on fire, lest you be shot, hopefully you would say, shoot me then. Because I will not deny the Word of God. We have a passion now, what we would all do in that circumstance. Only God knows. I believe His grace would kick in in an extraordinary way. But we live and die by the Bible. And yet, the truth is, we don't know what's even in it. Am I telling the truth? Yeah? We don't really know what's even in it. 
So if we're going to be what God wants us to be, then we need to be students of the Word of God. Now, one or two people are called to be great teachers and expounders of scriptures and they go off to Bible college and things like this. But don't put them in some category that means that the rest of us don't have to do that. Like, uh, well, that's for them. You know, if ever I speak to someone in the street and they have a question, I'll just phone him. No, as uh, Peter writes in one of his uh, epistles, this first one, chapter 3, verse 15, he says we should always be ready to give an answer to those who ask us. Isn't that right? Bring it over, Aidan. It's in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to, to, to give the reason for the hope that you have. I want to encourage you, like Ezra, to become a student of the Word of God. The truth is that many, many people, they spend much more time on Facebook than in the Bible. Many people spend much more time in the Radio Times than in the Bible. And some it just doesn't quite add up, friends. Some it just does not quite add up. If we're going to be a people of the Bible, then uh, we need to know what's in it. I've had occasion, and I don't want to be too unkind ever, but I've had occasions to, of speakers that wanted to come here and preach here. And uh, uh, I went to hear them. I didn't hear them here. I went to hear them some other place. Boy, oh boy, I would never invite them to come here. You know why? Did they not have passion? They were brimming over with passion. They were so passionate, the platform nearly caught fire. When they looked at the curtains, they nearly went up. In, they were passionate. Their eyes were like fire. But what came out of their mouth was nothing. There was no, there was no life changing message in their mouth. It was loud. The volume was loud and the music played. But what came out of their mouth was not something that was going to change anybody's life. I want to tell you this. The pulpit should be in the center of every single church. It is the pulpit that is changing the lives of people. The worship is important because we want God to be honored and glorified. And you know this is a Pentecostal church. You know that we love the moving of the Holy Spirit here, but it's not the moving of the Holy Spirit alone that's going to change your life. It's going to be the Word of God that's going to change your life. And the beauty is you don't have to wait until Sunday to get the Word of God in you. You can open it up anytime you like. Or get one of these audio versions. We have one at home that's a, that's, that's a blessing. If you're struggling in your Bible and you can't make head nor tail of it, you've got the wrong translation for you. The best version of the Bible, the very best one, I want to recommend it to you, is the one that you can actually read. Any other kind of Bible is not a good translation for you. The one that you read is the one that is good for you. Can you say amen?
And maybe, maybe, you know, every now and then we just become tired. Let's just be frank. We just become a bit tired and you need to pop down to the, to the Christian bookshop or you need to get on Amazon. You need to go and buy yourself a new Bible, a new translation or something like that that will just, that will just renew and kick in your reading of the Word of God. Do something that will renew your reading of the Word of God, if that's, if that's what you need. I want to encourage I've been so blessed with our students on, on Thursday night. I want to tell you a little secret, which I probably shouldn't tell you, and especially as it's going out live. But here's a little secret. We did a, we did a course just recently, in the early, early part of this year, on the Gospels, and many of the students sat an exam. Many, many of them got 75% or more in the exam. And then one day, a couple of weeks ago, now please don't tell anyone this. You promise not to tell anyone this? Are you sure? Okay. One day, we had a pastor's day here. And the pastors, I said, hey, we just did this exam here. And the pastors, pastors, started looking through the exam like it was written in Dutch. What's this? I said, well, don't you know the answer? No. I couldn't do a single one of these. Well, I'm not having a go at them. What I'm telling you is, in this church, we believe in training people in the Word of God. Training people in the Word of God. The Bible says of Ezra, he set his heart to study the Word of God. He set his heart. In other words, it may not have happened naturally. He had to make himself do it. And sometimes... That's exactly what we have to do. We have to make ourselves do things. So don't say, oh, I believe the Bible from cover to cover if you don't open its covers. Something just doesn't add up. We need to be students of the Word. Well, I've taken too long on that. So the first thing Ezra did was that he studied the Word of God. He had a hunger to know what was written in the Word of God. The second thing he did is he lived out the word in front of people. Let's look at this fun verse in Matthew chapter 23. And I think it's verses 1 to 3. It's Jesus' comments about the Pharisees. A very interesting comment. And do you know that theologically, in Jesus' day, there were lots of groups who believed lots of slightly different things. Let's call them denominations. Just That's not exactly the right word. But there were lots of kind of Jewish denominations. And if there was a group, if there was a group that was closest to what Jesus believed, it was actually the Pharisees that were that he was on the, roughly the same page as them in terms of what they believed. The Sadducees believed different things, but Jesus and the Pharisees they could kind of they could amend one another's sermons a bit if they if they had done that. He was on the same page with them. But this is what he said about their lives. He said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Jesus said what they're actually teaching is is sometimes, it's actually on the money, it's fine. But actually, the way they're living their lives, whatever you do, do not model 
that. Did you know that out of, uh, I don't know, out of a hundred people, maybe only one of them is going to read the Bible. The other 99, do you know what they read? They read the Christians. Can you say amen? Uh, Out of a hundred people, one person may read the Bible. The other 99, they are reading you. And we're supposed to be the living epistles, aren't we? Known and read by all men. We're supposed to be the the word incarnate in some in some sense, not in the sense that Jesus was. But we're supposed to be the 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 not just the the, uh, the bringers of good news, but we're supposed to be good news. Jesus said, "Whatever you do, don't 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 live like don't do what they do." You know, we're being read all the time. We are the Bible that people are that people are reading. And so uh, it's actually possible to be incredibly knowledgeable about the Bible, but not to actually obey it. I remember a very passionate message I once heard preached in a Bible school uh, chapel service. And this student, and he was called Dave uh, Gibson. He became a dear friend of mine, helped me out a lot. And he, he got up one morning and he said to the student body, We think we are here to master the Word. But he said, the truth is this, that the Word should be mastering us. The Word should be mastering us. We're trying to master the Word. Actually, the Word should be mastering us. And that was the problem the Pharisees had. They were masters of the Word, but the Word was not mastering them. Why don't we look at this verse in James and... uh, Chapter, chapter 1, and you might know this verse quite well. James says, do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. It's amazing. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to, do so, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Ezra was a student of the Bible. He knew the Bible. He also lived the Bible out in front of people. And that's our job too, to live it out. To live it out in front in front of people. Isn't it amazing that you can spend weeks and weeks being the Christian in your workplace, but you walk in with a bad temper one day, or you walk in and you fly off the handle, or you just a bad uh, member of staff. You show up when you want. You take throw sickies, whatever. I tell you, your testimony, bang, it's gone. It's gone. It takes a long time, does it not, to build up good rapport with people, a good testimony, and it can be destroyed in a second. Can it not? That's just the truth. It's true for me, true for you. One time I remember being so down in a workplace I was working in many years ago, I almost left. And I left because I was discouraged with it, but I also thought, do you know what? I'm becoming really gloomy around here. I walk into work and I'm not good to be with anymore. I'm damaging the Christian message, just by being here. And I was really active, you know, in that workplace. I used to pray for the sick and talk about my faith. I got a whole lot of them to church once. And, you know, I was kind of doing okay 
as a kind of an evangelist there. But, you know, I, it wasn't that I wasn't active. But I thought, actually, the legacy I'm going to leave here is that I was a nightmare to work with. Or the legacy I'm going to leave here is that when everyone else is in the staff room talking about the boss, I just stand there talking about the boss and all. I'm just no different to them. I'm no different to them. You need to have favor, you see, with God and with man. It was true of Jesus in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. I think it's the very end of the, of the chapter. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. It's almost exactly what's said of Samuel. And so we need, to, we need to lift this word out in front of people. Ezra did the same. Finally, we need, of course, to be people who share the word of God. We need to be people who share the word of God. Let's look at an instance in Acts chapter 8. And picking up in verse 30. Philip the Evangelist. who really did, by the way, have hands. And if you don't understand that, um, some of you are here with us on Thursday, May. Philip the Evangelist. It's an amazing story of how God took Philip to a desert area and there was a guy in a chariot. And it says he ran up to the chariot, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And the man said, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. And the man read from Isaiah chapter 53. And then the story uh, goes on. He asked him, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or is he talking about someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Once again, there was a man who had fire in his bones, miracles in his ministry. But when the guy says to him, can you explain the Bible to me? He could. He could. And I want us to have a, a real generation of believers who absolutely know the Pentecostal experience, the power of the Spirit, that they actually know the Bible as and are able to communicate it clearly, competently, with, with a dying world. Listen, we don't have the answers to all the questions. Absolutely not. But we probably need to have much more of the Bible in us than we do. A few weeks ago, uh, a group of us, and Aidan and I among them, we spent a Monday evening in the mosque. Now, don't look, don't look worried. We were not converting to Islam. But uh, we were doing a Muslim course here, and the final evening was a, a visit to the mosque just over the road there. And we had a little lecture on uh, Islam. And one of the things the guy said to us, he said, is this. He says that Muslims, many Muslims, they memorize the entire Quran. Am I telling the truth? They memorize the, the, the entire thing. He said, because, he said, it's amazing. He said, if all the copies of the Quran were taken and burnt. It could be rewritten exactly by all the people who had memorized it. Well, the Bible is a big book to memorize, but you know, it kind of made me feel a little bit ashamed. 
that I didn't know the Word of God like these people knew their Scriptures. Philip knew the Word. Ezra studied the Word, lived the Word, but he could also teach the Word to other people. Let's just look at Paul in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 9. And I want you to see something here. This is the story of how uh, Ananias goes to see him, prays for him, and his sight returns. And this is amazing. I want you to see something here. Maybe you've never seen this before. It says, immediately he was free of this blindness. And I want you to come to the part that says here, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the, in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What I want you to see is the phrase, at once. How long had this man been a Christian? Well, he'd been in Judaism for years, but in terms of himself being a Christian, he had been a Christian for what? A few days. It says, several days. He was there for several days. But at once, it says, he began to preach about Jesus. So, just as I draw this message to some sort of conclusion, let me just burst a bubble here. The idea that actually, you know, you could sit here today and think, well, it's true, I've not been a great student of the Word of God and, and uh, I've not lived it out exactly, you know, I've made some mistakes, as we all have, by the way. And so that means that I can't really share it. I want you to know this, that we're supposed to do all three of these things at the same time. And really that's the heart of what I wanted to say today. We're supposed to do all three of these things at the same time. It isn't that first of all we go away for ten years becoming a Bible student then we try to be holy for another 10 years. And if we're still alive, then we start teaching it to people later on. This verse tells us that immediately, immediately, just like me in that pub many years ago, kind of getting it all wrong, but we are called to do all of these things at the same time. Saul got up, started preaching straight away. Did he know everything about the Bible? No. Did he know he was going to write some of the Bible? No. And just like, uh, just like uh, uh, um, Apollos, no doubt, he made some mistakes. and He had to be corrected. You remember Barnabas took him under his wing. But we're supposed to get going with this straight away. Studying it, living it, sharing it. And we're supposed to do all those things at the same time. Here's the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, the great call to disciple the nations. Go, make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How will they hear unless there be a preacher? And so normally, at the end of a message like this, I would, I would ask you this. Which of these three areas do you feel that you perhaps need to get some work into? Do you need to uh, become a better student of the Bible? And I think that may be true for many people here. 
Or maybe you need to be a better outworker of the Bible. You know, live your holy life in front of people. Like the bumper sticker on the car that says, Don't follow me, follow Jesus. Well, I know what the bumper sticker means. I sort of know what it means. But actually, they're not going to follow Jesus. They are going to follow us. Paul said, I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. I get scared when Christians put I love Jesus on the back of their bumper and then they cut people up and, and swear at people through the window and, uh, you know, drive like a maniac. Get the, get the sticker off. <laughs> so maybe you need some, some help in that area. You want God to help you in that area. That you live it out in front of people. Or maybe it's the third one. You'd love to be able to talk to people, but because the problem is if, you don't, if you're not a student, you don't know what to say. And so you start just to say all sorts of stuff. But today, I'm not asking anyone to make a choice which of the three areas they need help in. I'm going to suggest that we need help in all three of these areas. And I'm going to suggest that we need to ask God to help us to grow in all three of these things. At the end of the Ezra story, and I finish with this. At the end of the Ezra story, we read that in the, and it's finished in the book of Nehemiah, not the book of Ezra. Ezra did indeed stand on a, uh, a wooden platform built especially for the occasion. He opened the law. I think it says he, he opened it up at dawn and he read out the scripture, taught the scripture until noon. However long that is. Many, many hours. That was a long meeting. But he read the scripture out to the, to the Israelites and it says that they were cut to the heart. I'm using Acts 2 language there, but they were repentant and they cried. And they were overjoyed because the scripture had been expounded to them so clearly. There's no way they can understand. And the scribes get up and they say this, Do not cry. Rejoice today. Don't be upset. And here comes that amazing verse. They say, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's where that verse comes from. When people understand the word of God, the joy of the Lord becomes their strength. I've heard stuff about the joy of the Lord. I believe in the miraculous joy of the Lord. But I tell you this, the true joy of the Lord comes when people understand the word of God. That's how it's, that's how it's uh, presented in the Bible. And so let's be dedicated to doing life the Ezra way. Studying the word, living it out in front of people, doing it right. And by the way, oh I should say, not just living it out in front of people, but living it out when you're not in front of people. And teaching it to others. That's the Ezra way.